Now, today we are starting a new series called Twisted Theology. And to set up this series, I want to explain something that I misunderstood years ago when I was a kid. So when I was in elementary school, I heard that we had a law against drinking and driving. And I thought, when I was in elementary school, I thought that meant you couldn't drink anything while you drove. You couldn't drink a bottle of water. You couldn't swing by a a McDonald's or a fast food place and get a soft drink or get a coffee. Like, you couldn't drink anything. I thought it was like a big distracted driver thing. And so when I saw my dad drinking coffee while he drove, I thought he was a rebel because he was drinking and driving. Now, a few years later, I came to understand that that's not what that law means. And that law actually applies to drinking alcohol and driving. So just in case you weren't sure what that law applies to, I'm just here to clear it, clear it up for you today. It involves drinking alcohol and driving because those two things don't mix well together. But I want you to imagine if I still had that thought. If I still thought that drinking and driving means we're not allowed to drink anything, that would cause me to unjustly judge people who are legally drinking and driving And it would inconvenience my life in some ways that that law never intended. So here's the connection for this series. Sometimes we develop wrong interpretations of what God says in scripture. Sometimes that happens because we were taught incorrectly or sometimes we take our opinions and we mix it with what we think God's saying. But either way, we end up with a wrong interpretation. And if we hold on to that wrong interpretation, It will cause us to judge people unfairly. It will cause us to hold other people and ourselves to a standard that God was not holding us to, and it will impact our lives in some significant ways. So in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to explore some of the ways that we twist theology. We're going to look at ways Christ followers and non-Christians alike twist, twist theology in ways that God never intended. And hopefully when we have a more accurate understanding of what God intends, then it'll impact our lives and other people's lives as well. So in honor of Mother's Day, what we're going to do is we are going to explore something that every mom has said at some point, if not a hundred times in her life as a mom. When her kids are arguing and fighting with each other, moms often say, can't you just get along with each other? How many of you have ever heard your mom say that? All right, moms, how many of you have had to say that this morning? All right, if you had to say that to your spouse, you know, who's arguing with somebody on the radio on the way here, yeah, I think for all of us, let's honor our moms today and make it a really good day for them, okay? But when it comes to our world, We're like a group of big kids arguing all the time. We're arguing about all kinds of things. We're fighting about all kinds of issues. We're fighting over politics. We're fighting over COVID. We're fighting over our response to COVID. We're fighting over vaccines. We're fighting over masks, whether we should wear them or whether we shouldn't wear them. We're fighting over economics and ethnicity and sexuality. We're fighting over our history as a nation. You name it, we're fighting over it. And as we're fighting over all these subjects, all of our moms collectively collectively are asking, can't we just get along with each other? One of the reasons I think that we struggle to get along with each other 
is because we are being offered and we are believing some really bad advice about how to resolve our differences. The world is offering us some bad advice that sounds like good advice. It sounds almost like godly advice, but it's not. It's actually making things worse. So today, what we're being told is the best way to resolve our differences is to tolerate each other. We're told if we tolerate each other, that's going to solve all of our relational conflicts and problems. And even though that sounds like a good thing, I think sometimes it sounds like a God thing, but it's not. It's actually making things worse. To explain that, I want want to define tolerance for you this morning. And then I want to take tolerance and I want to put it into one of the greatest things Jesus said that we could ever do. So let's look at this definition here. So tolerance can be defined as allowing the existence, presence, practice, or act of something without prohibition or hindrance. It can be defined as enduring something without repugnance. Don't you love it when you look at a definition and you need to, to find another definition to explain, like, what does that mean? Well, that means intense disgust. It can also mean enduring someone or something unpleasant or disliked. Now, doesn't tolerance just sound like so much fun? You know, like, if we don't like each other, let's endure each other. Let's try to hide our intense disgust for each other. Like, won't that make things better? The world tells us it will, but I don't think that it will. So I want to take this word tolerance and I want to put it into the greatest commandment ever given. So listen to this in Matthew 22, verse 36. It says, Jesus was asked this question, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must, what's that word? Tolerate the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Tolerate your neighbor as yourself. Now, if that's what Jesus had said about the great commandment, guess what? We're doing great. Like, give ourselves an A+. Like, we're doing really great at tolerating God. And I won't speak on your behalf, but I'll speak on my behalf. I am doing great at tolerating God. There are moments that God comes along and says, Trent, this is what I want you to do. And I reply back, God, I appreciate your care and concern for me in my life, but I don't think that's the best thing for me to do right now. So I'm gonna tolerate your request. I'm not gonna do it, but I'll tolerate it. Thanks for caring for me. There are other times that I will do what God asks. I see in scripture, I'll do that God kind of guides me to do, pricks up my heart to do something, and I will do it with a bad attitude. And I'll say, there you go, God. See, I did what you wanted, even though I didn't do it the way you wanted it done, but I did it. So I'm really good at tolerating God. How about you? How are you doing at interacting with God when he asks you to do something. Then when it comes to tolerating people, we are really good at tolerating people. And we've perfected the art of being polite to people's faces. But can't you tell when somebody's tolerating you? Like you're in the presence of somebody at home, at work, at school, wherever, and they don't like you. So they're going to tolerate you. 
And they have this look on their face that says, I'm hiding my intense disgust of you right now. And when I turn around and walk away, guess what I'm going to say about you? Or I'm going to think about you? Or I'm going to go talk to my friends about you? And it's not going to be nice. It's not going to be polite. We've, we've created this, this illusion at times where we, we kind of present to people that tolerance is a good thing. I'm, I'm going to tolerate you. But tolerance doesn't lead to any place good. It actually leads to hurtful things. I recently heard someone say about the death of someone they didn't like, and this was a public figure. They said, I hope that that person is rotting in hell. And when I heard that, I thought, you know what, that's what tolerance leads to. Tolerance starts with this kind of unspoken, I don't like you, but I'm going to endure you. I'm going to tolerate you. I'm going to hide my intense disgust of you. And then it ends up with an outspoken disregard for life itself. And I think that's why we aren't supposed to tolerate each other. We're actually supposed to do something much harder than that. So we're going to go back into the great commandment. And I want us to see what Jesus actually said. So in the great commandment, Jesus replied, you must, what's that word? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Equally important. What's that word? Love. Love your neighbor as yourself. So God calls us to love people, not to tolerate people. And I hope this morning when you got up and you were trying to decide what to wear and you, you reached for those pants that you were going to wear, I hope that you picked out your favorite stretchy pants, you know, the pants that have the elastic waist around them. I hope that you put those on today because God is going to stretch our understanding of what it means to love people when it's so much easier to tolerate them. So to explore this, we're going to look at several ways that Jesus modeled this for us. Ways that Jesus loved people who were tolerating him. And if you're not familiar with Jesus as far as the people who were around him, the people who tolerated him, you might be surprised to find out that the people who tolerated Jesus the most were the, the people who should have loved them, him the most. And they were the religious leaders. The religious leaders who studied the Bible, who worshiped God, who tried to help people follow in God's way, they should have been the people who loved Jesus, being God in the flesh, but they hated him. And they hid that behind tolerance until they couldn't tolerate him anymore. Actually, uh, this passage in Matthew around the greatest commandment actually gives us some insight into the tolerance that the religious leaders had for Jesus. Matthew 22, verse 35 tells us the man who asked Jesus this question about the most important commandment from the law of Moses was a religious leader. And he asked this question so he could trap Jesus into saying something he could use against him. And the amazing thing about Jesus is he knows this guy's motives. So put yourself in Jesus' spot. Okay, so uh, you're, you're in an office environment. You've got a whole bunch of people around and, and somebody at work, kind of uh, your nemesis, Somebody that tolerates you all the time, that doesn't really like you, and they're trying to expose uh, something about you, make you look bad in front of everybody else. They're trying to reveal something that you would say that they can use against you later. 
What would you do in that situation if you knew their motives? If I had the ability to read minds like Jesus does, I would try to expose their motives. I might try to embarrass them in front of the group by like supernaturally having their sandal straps tie together and they take a step and trip and fall flat on their face. Like I would probably do that and that's one of the reasons I'm not God and we should all be grateful that we're not God. But what does Jesus do in that moment? He answers the guy's question with honesty and grace. He speaks the truth in love. In that moment, when he knows somebody's trying to hurt him, he speaks the truth in love to this guy. So maybe you're in a situation right now where the greatest thing that you can do is not try to get revenge, not try to reveal somebody's hidden motives behind what they're doing. Maybe the greatest thing you can do in that environment, in that situation, wherever it is, is just to be honest and to pour out grace for people the way that Jesus pours out grace for all of us. Now, as challenging as that is, that's like love 101. That's like entry-level stuff. And Jesus is going to show us a couple of more reasons why loving people is so much harder than just tolerating them. Luke chapter 6 records another interaction Jesus had with some religious leaders. And verse 6 says, on another Sabbath day, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. Okay, so kind of get the context of this passage here. So it's like they're at church, okay? So you're at church right now. So imagine this is happening in a church environment. Uh, Verse seven says, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. And if he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath for them was Saturday. Now, for us, it's Sunday. And the reason we worship on Sunday is because Jesus rose on Sunday. And after Jesus rose on Sunday, his disciples started meeting on Sunday. That's why we meet on Sunday instead of Saturday. There are still groups that meet on Saturday and they call that their Sabbath. But working on the Sabbath would have violated one of the 10 commandments that God had given to the people of Israel. That they were not allowed to to do anything outside of their normal work. But the religious leaders made all kinds of extra rules for what that meant. They included healing somebody as a rule against the Ten Commandments. That it was not okay to heal somebody on the Sabbath because that was considered work. It seems a, a little bit strange. But if you go on a trip to Israel ever... And we've taken several trips here to Israel with our church, and they are phenomenal trips. And I hope that we can go one day in the future. And if you get an opportunity to go with us, you should go. And one of the things that you'll discover is when you're in Israel, in one of the hotels, you'll find out that on Saturday, the elevator stops at every floor. And you don't want to get on that elevator if you're at the top floor, because you'll stop at every floor. And the reason it stops at every floor is because some religious leaders have decided that operating an electrical switch on Saturday is against the rules of the Sabbath. There are many more rules similar to that that you'll discover if you take a trip to an environment like that. I don't think that's what God meant, but these religious leaders made all kinds of extra rules and they wanted to hold Jesus accountable to those rules. Verse eight says, but Jesus knew their thoughts. Again, we have God in the flesh. He knows what they're thinking. 
he said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. So imagine this is happening here and Jesus invites him to come stand in front of all of us. Then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to to destroy it? And then verse 10 says, Jesus looked around at them one by one. This is like a, a scene out of a movie. You know, so just imagine Jesus has this person up on stage and he stares out at at his critics, which we'll find out are his enemies in just a moment, and he stares into their eyes one by one. I mean, this is kind of like an old Western movie. This is like, you know, the showdown at the OK Corral. And I can just see Jesus kind of pushing his Western duster back to reveal his six shooter. Like, who's going to draw first? This was an intense moment. Everybody's watching. Because if Jesus heals this guy, he's violated the law of the Sabbath. If he doesn't, what's that say about his love for this guy? Verse 10 continues. Jesus then said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. And at this, the enemies of Jesus. Again, who are the enemies of Jesus in this context? The religious leaders. The people you would think who would have loved Jesus, they are his enemies, and his enemies were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. They are wild, out of their minds, angry at Jesus. Mark chapter 3, verse 6 is another perspective of this story. And Mark tells us that at once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Again, that's where tolerance leads. Tolerance leads to death. It doesn't lead to life. But in this interaction, what do we see Jesus doing? We see Jesus doing the right thing even when it eventually led to his death. He did the right thing in this moment for this man. He loved this man in this this moment. Just understand the condition this man lived with all of his life. So he had this deformed right hand, which meant in his culture, everybody thought he had sinned and done something wrong. God was punishing him for what he had done. Imagine if you have a disability in your life. Imagine people thinking that about you and how they would tolerate you. Maybe polite to your face, but certainly not behind your back. That's the experience this guy would have had. And so for this man, Jesus did the right thing. Jesus loved this man in this moment, even with his enemies watching closely. Sometimes we are tempted to avoid doing the right thing in our world where everything's politically correct. There's so much political pressure right now on everything. There are moments like we're a little bit afraid to step out into biblical correctness because we're afraid of political correctness. And I think there are moments that we need to do the right thing, love the person in front of us, regardless of the political environment that's happening around us. So Jesus saw that. He knew it was all about politics. Jesus stepped in and loved this guy and did the right thing for him in that moment. I think that's a challenge for us as well. I think another thing that this interaction teaches us is that sometimes people will tolerate us no matter what we do. Like we won't be able to win somebody over. 
We won't be able to do relationship gymnastics to get them to like us. Uh, Jesus could not have done anything to make these religious leaders like him. They hated him. They hid it behind their tolerance until they couldn't tolerate him anymore. And Jesus even loved them. And we're going to see that in a very profound way in just a moment. Again, the greatest thing that we can do is love God and love people. And Jesus is going to show us two more ways how to do this. And uh, I encourage you to put your seatbelt on because it's going to get rough. Matthew 26 records the moment Jesus was arrested and he was put on trial. The religious leaders who had gotten sick of tolerating Jesus were looking for someone to lie about Jesus so they could put him to death. Verse 60 says, but even though they found many who agreed to give false witness, they could not use anyone's testimony. Finally, two men came forward who declared, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Now, when Jesus said that, he was talking about himself. He was talking about his body, which is, was the temple of God, is the temple of God. And we find out in scripture later that our bodies, if you're a Christ follower, our bodies are also called the temple of God. So Jesus was talking about raising himself from the dead, but they use that statement against him. Verse 62 says, then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? Verse 63 says, but Jesus remained silent. Remaining silent can be one of the hardest things for us to do, especially when we're being tolerated or we're being attacked or we're being hated. But sometimes it's the most loving, most appropriate thing to do. I know it goes against our nature because if you're anything like me, when I'm in that spot, I want to tell everybody my side of the story. I want to get people on my side. I want to explain. I want to defend myself. But sometimes silence creates room for God to work. So you don't have to answer every social media post that's out there. You don't have to. You don't have to engage every political argument that's going on around you at work. You don't have to. You don't have to defend uh, your decision constantly to live for God in your life and to honor him with how you live and work. You should just let your life shine out for all to see the, the difference that God has made in you. And sometimes silence is the best way to do that. Again, we've seen Jesus do different things in different moments. He's spoken the truth and love in one moment. He's remained silent in another moment. He's done the right thing in the midst of his enemies watching. So Jesus has done a lot of different things. But sometimes, I think what Jesus is asking us to do is remain silent. Now, shortly after this unjust trial, Jesus was found guilty of blasphemy and sentenced to death by crucifixion. And as Jesus hung on the cross, Matthew 27, verse 39 says, the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said that you were able to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you're the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. Again, these were his enemies. 
They said he saved others, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Well, let him come down from the cross right now, and we will believe in him. Now try to put yourself in Jesus' spot. You're God in the flesh. You've got all the power of the universe available to you. What would you do? Again, the reason I'm not God is because I would strike them dead in that moment. I would call lightning from heaven. I would reveal myself as God in the flesh and say, sucks to be you, you're going to hell now. I'm here, it's all over. Again, we should be glad God didn't pick me in that context. But listen to what Jesus did, okay? God in the flesh. Luke 23, 34 records Jesus as saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus forgives his enemies. The people who hated him, the people who were tolerating him till they couldn't tolerate him anymore, they were putting him to death. I'm pretty sure they knew what they were doing, but they didn't get the overarching spiritual context of what they were doing. They didn't understand who Jesus really was, but Jesus forgives them in that moment, and that's why loving people is so much harder than tolerating them. Anybody can tolerate somebody, but when it comes to loving other people, oh, that's hard. That's challenging, and that's what Jesus is asking us to do. He's asking us to love people. He's asking us to forgive people who've hurt us. So who do you need to love instead of tolerate? Is it someone who has very different political opinions than yours? Is it someone who looks very different than you do? Is it someone who acts very different than you? Is it a family member who's hurt you deeply and you're struggling over forgiveness? Is it a coworker who takes credit for your work? Is it someone at church who you are at odds with, like you're tolerating each other, but you're not loving each other? If you're a Christ follower, you aren't asked to tolerate anyone. You're asked to do something much harder. You're asked to love them. You're asked to do the right thing for them. You might be asked to remain silent in one moment, speak the truth in the next moment. You might be asked to love them by forgiving them for what they have done. For you, again, Jesus did different things in different situations. And loving people can look different in different moments. But that's what Jesus is asking us to do. It's to love people, not tolerate them. Remember, tolerance leads to death. But love leads to life. God's asking us to bring life to others, not death. So I think we need to stop tolerating and start loving. Next week, we are going to explore one of the most misunderstood passages in scripture. And it is misunderstood by Christ followers and non-Christians alike. And so I hope that you will join us for this, whether you're joining us again on campus or you're joining us online. I hope that you will be a part of this and uh, understand more accurately what God is saying in the context of what we will explore next week. 
Now, today we're going to end a little differently. Normally, we have our worship team come back out, and they're going to close with a song, but today we're not doing that. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be finished for today. But here's what I encourage. If you need to have a, a deeper conversation about this, I'd be more than happy to talk to you about this. I'll be right up front after the service. Um, actually, there's two groups of people I'd love to talk with this morning. If you're new to our church and I haven't met you yet, I'd love to meet you. Uh, if you've got some other questions or you've got something you're struggling with out of today's message, I'd love to talk with you as well about that. If you've got a prayer issue, if you have a care need that you uh, need some help with, I encourage you to stop by our care table, groups and care table on your way out. We've got some amazing people there who would love to pray with you, pray for you, and help you in any way that we can help you. And now before we pray, let me remind you of a few things. Moms, remember to pick up your Mother's Day gift before you leave today and stop by our photo booth and, and take a picture to capture uh, this special day. And then um, we've got our 40 days of prayer small group experience. So if you have signed up for that, if you're interested in learning more about prayer, you can stop by our uh, groups table. You can get your material or you can sign up to get that material. It's a great experience. And then the last thing I encourage you to do before you leave today is say hi to someone that you don't know. Just spend a few minutes talking to them. Here's the reality of what happens on Sundays. There are people that come in every Sunday who've been tolerated all of their lives. They don't need to be tolerated anymore. They don't need to have somebody just be polite to them and then have them leave. They need somebody to love them. And, and here's how you could love them today. I know this is kind of, we're, we're in an awkward time where like, do you shake people's hands? Do you give them a fist bump? Do you an elbow? Like, do you hug them? Do you step back? Like, we don't know. We don't know. Smile, get to know their name. Ask how long they've been coming. Where are they from? Just spend a few minutes getting to know them. Don't tolerate them. Let them know this is a place where they'll be loved on. So let's pray and then let's do that. God, right now we are being bombarded with messaging from our world that some of it sounds good, some of it even sounds godly. But like when we look at this context of this word tolerance that we're being told, tolerate your neighbor, tolerate your coworker, tolerate people that you don't like. Lord, we're seeing where tolerance leads. It leads to death. It doesn't lead to life. And so Jesus, you didn't tell us to tolerate anyone. You asked us to do something much harder than that. You asked us to step into the chaos around us and bring love and light into those environments. And Lord, we have a lot of opportunities for that. Some of us have opportunities at home to do that. There's some tension at home. And we've been tolerating some people in our house and we don't need to tolerate them anymore. We actually need to swallow our pride. We need to learn how to love them. Or some of us face that at work, where we go to work and we just tolerate people that are there. We try to avoid them as much as possible, and yet you're not calling us to do that. You're calling us to step out of our comfort zones and learn how to love those people. Lord, some of us even face that in the context of church, where like maybe we've got some tolerance going on between us and another church member, and you're not asking us to tolerate 
You're really asking us to love. Step beyond ourselves and do what you, Jesus, have modeled for us. So Lord, thank you for the model. And may we follow your example. And Holy Spirit, may we listen to you on a moment-by-moment basis for you to guide us in which response is the most appropriate, most loving response in that moment. We need your input daily. We need it moment-by-moment. And may we always be open to it as you talk to us. In Jesus' name. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Go love somebody.